0: Hey everyone, it's Robert Poole with the Growing Your B2B Small Business Podcast. Have you ever been in a situation where a prospect or customer just doesn't seem to see your product or service the way you do? I think most of us have. Let's talk about what that really is and how we can overcome it. Let's get started. you have a small business that sells to other businesses? If so, you probably know that there are plenty of resources for companies that market to consumers or companies that sell to large and Fortune 500 type companies. But what about the small businesses in the middle who sell to other companies? Where do we go to get answers? How do we grow our company consistently while still keeping our sanity? That's the question, and this podcast is the answer. If you're listening to this podcast, you're part of an elite group of achievers who aren't willing to settle for just a nine-to-five job. You're one of the heroes in our society, and you should be proud of it. Welcome to the tribe, and welcome home. Okay, everyone, I hope you're having an awesome day today. In the last episode, we talked about how easy it is to get distracted by ideas and things that don't really move our business forward and what to do about them. Today, I want to talk about the reasons why clients and customers hesitate to buy and how we can overcome those hesitations and reasons to make the sale and grow our companies. And to start off, uh, just so we're all on the same page, let's briefly talk about the, the sales process, at least from my perspective. You know, I did a whole episode on the difference between sales and marketing a while back, but both are integral to the total sales process from generating a customer lead to closing for the sale. And I like to look at this process with the hook story and close model, You know, the hook being something that gets a prospect to stop what they're doing and pay attention to your message. You know, That can be an advertising message they see, it could be a cold call that they have to answer or anything else that stops them in their tracks and gets them to pay attention to you, even if it's only for a half of a second. I mean, the examples of that would be like an ad on Facebook with a wacky headline that makes someone stop scrolling and go, well, what, What is that, you know, what did they say? You know, or a strange ad on TV or even a cold call where someone calls the prospect and says something that gets the prospect's attention. Like, you know, hey, I was calling you because your insurance company is overcharging you. I mean, that makes the ears perk up. So the cold call goes from just some name on the phone that they aren't even really listening to, to their ears perking up and thinking, what did they just say? So that's the hook. The next phase is involving uh, and telling stories that help the prospects start to see that your solution may be a better idea than what they're currently doing. You know, as humans, we think in pictures and we pick up concept best through stories. Those are either stories we made up in our head based upon past experiences or stories that someone else tells us. You know, we pick up concepts from those stories that enable our brain to conceptualize the new information. Without story and imagery, we're very unlikely to relate to the concept and it's unlikely that, that we're even going to remember it. So story is critical. And, you know, what these first two steps in the sales process, uh, hook and story, have in common is that they're both marketing. Marketing is really about changing someone's belief about a topic and hopefully changing them to believe, you know, that they need your solution. Only after marketing to our prospects can we actually start selling to them. You know, what's the sales part of the hook story close? Well, it's, you know, the close part, the third part, of course. You know, some people say, you know, uh, offer instead of close, but I like close because it kind of reminds us that we actually have to ask for someone to take an action and pull the trigger on buying. We can't just expect them to do it by themselves. And the close, of course, has, you know, three components, you know, urgency, meaning you have to give them a reason to buy now versus procrastinating in the future. You have to show them, you know, some kind of scarcity or fear of loss, which basically just means if they don't buy now, the offer will go away or somebody else will get it and they'll lose out, something like that. And then finally, you have to actually ask them to buy, you know, whether that's, you know, an online sales page or asking verbally, but it's, you know, amazing, but it's the number one thing salespeople do poorly or most of the time, not at all, ask for the order. So, you know, why am I talking about hook, story, close on this? Well, if we don't do all three of those correctly, we won't get the sale. And so the question is, you know, how do we move a prospect through that process? And, you know, what are the roadblocks that stop in the process, which is what I want to talk about today? You know, these roadblocks, you know, in the sales world, commonly referred to as objections. You know, we're taught, well, you know, you have to have good rebuttals to counter something that someone says that derails them from the process and gives them a the reason not to buy. Well, you know, the problem with objections is that in a lot of cases, the first two steps, the marketing parts, you know, we're literally telling the prospect to ask these questions or bring up excuses not to buy. You know, it's not that we're saying, hey, tell me why you don't want to buy. you know, of course, I've seen that too, but even worse is that all of the hooks, the story, and even the close to an extent set up the prospect to bring up these hesitations and in their mind, stop the sales process because they consider them deal breakers. You know, as an example, in your typical sales presentation, you know, in person or over the phone video, whatever, you know, most salespeople, you know, at best, they use an outline of what they're going to say. Rarely is it memorized and thought out, you know, in a script use, which, you know, is a whole different subject, but you know the problem with not having a script is that nervousness and you know apathy or whatever you know sets in and immediately the salesperson starts talking about what you know like old school sales training they start feature barfing trying to cleverly turn features into benefits and you know masquerade them in a benefit and go off on techno babble that's you know completely loses the prospect's attention and talks way above them they compound that feature barfing and techno babble by focusing on price and how they're cheaper and better than other competitors That's basically what a lot of salespeople are trained to do, unfortunately, you know, become experts in their product or service and, you know, price quoters, not actually salespeople who are there to solve a problem. One of the major problems with this approach is that it invites every objection and reason not to buy in the prospect's mind. When you start talking about features or benefits, the prospect immediately will start, you know, to comparison shop in their mind. They start imagining, well, what does competitor uh, X have or what does their product have that your product doesn't have, and well, is that feature available somewhere else? And they start evaluating, and you know, from that standpoint, they start comparing your feature to your competitors in a vacuum, letting you letting you frame it correctly. And it's not just when you're having a conversation with a prospect. You know, if you found the lead through advertising or something other than a cold call, you know, you're doing the same damage by focusing your sales manager or excuse me, your sales message on features or benefits and pricing. Again, you know, sort of begging for objections to form in the prospect's mind. Good salespeople actually try to address these objections in the prospect's mind before they can fully formulate, much less verbalize them. You know, the problem with poorly designed marketing is that if you do what you're supposed to do and, you know, let the prospect talk in you know in a sales presentation, they're gonna beat you to the objections and then you're on the defense of having to respond. So it's better, of course, to knock down the objections before they even become objections. Let's talk about objections in general. I mean, The three major reasons behind them, and some of the ways you can avoid them from uh, the prospect considering them at all. First, you know I've heard this from tons of salespeople, you know, over the last twenty-five years in sales and marketing, and you know, but you got to get over that idea that every conversation is different, and you can't be prepared to answer every objection with you know previously thought out and scripted answer. Uh, Just like scripting your sales presentation and calls, salespeople, you know, keep fighting this on this concept over and over again since I've been in marketing and sales. You know, a lot of salespeople think, well, you know, every person and every conversation is different. So you can't ever prepare for every objection. You know, I mean, I understand where they're going from, but you know, they won't even write down the objection because they think there are just too many, you know, and it's simply not true in my opinion. I mean, 99% of products or services probably have less than top 10 common objections. And most likely they have less than five. I mean, some of the obvious ones, some um, common things like, you know, They basically don't trust, you know, the company or the sales representative. They don't think that the perceived value uh, is great enough to part with their money. They don't understand how your solution helps them. You know, they don't believe our our solution can actually solve their problem, or they don't even know they have a problem. You know, so what do we do? First, uh, we have to isolate these objections. You know, if you don't know what they are, you can't really prepare for them. So you want to sit down and brainstorm all the ones you can think of and. Keep track of them. You know, I mean, you know, it's rudimentary, but put them in a spreadsheet, you know. And, you know, when you get 10 or 20 uh, after some experience, look for the similar objections that are basically the same thing that create that category. So if it's a money objection, a pricing objection, you know, if it's a timing objection, you know, things like that. And next, you know, all objections really have a psychological basis behind them. You know, there's a reason in our brains why we think about, you know, the way we do about objections. You know, it makes it a lot easier to address these if you really know where they're coming from and how the brain's functioning. You know, I totally give credit to Steve Larson and Russell Brunson on this idea. Like you know, a lot of things you can intuitively know a concept, and but you may not be able to put it into words or organize the thought very well. You know, they both talk about how you can categorize the psychology of all objections into three categories. And it wasn't until I first heard this from them that I realized this was true and what a wonderful framework it was for attacking those beliefs before they turned into deal breaking objections. So kudos to them for coming up with that. First, when you look at objections or roadblocks people have to buying, they're really all about beliefs about buying your product. You know, from our perspective as the salesperson, you know, they're considered false beliefs, meaning you don't believe that they're true, what they're thinking. I mean, what is a false belief? You know, and it's simply an idea in the prospect's mind that doesn't line up with what you know to be true. I mean, have you ever had a prospect think your product is just like your competitors, but you know that it's vastly superior and different in so many ways. That perception the prospect has is an example of a false belief. And this is where that idea of three types of objections comes into play. Stephen Russell teaches that the type of objections are either vehicle-related, internal, or external beliefs. And I think this is really a great way to categorize them and make it easy to rebut them or change them by thinking about them in those terms. So what's a vehicle-based objection? You know, the vehicle is the product or the solution that solves a problem. You know, if they have a vehicle type objection, that means that they don't think that the vehicle will actually work to solve their problem. You know, for example, our company sales double does cold calling and lead generation amongst other things. And if someone doesn't believe that cold calling is an effective way to generate business, that's a vehicle related objection. You know, I believe that it's a false belief, as we've proven over 20 plus years that it was and still is an effective means of marketing and generating new prospects. But, but from the prospect's point of view, you know, the vehicle doesn't work, and we know it to be a false belief. So it's much easier to handle that objection when we know where that objection is coming from psychologically. The second category is more internal belief-based objections. Basically, these are beliefs about themselves or their ability to use the solution you're offering. I mean, an example might be, again, you know, cold calling. You know, they might think, uh, well, cold calling may work for others, but I'm too scared to make cold calls and I don't know what to say. You know, um, and even if I had somebody else to cold call, I can't make cold calling work because... I don't know what I'd say on a follow up call or an appointment. Or I'm not organized to keep track of the leads and appointments somebody else sets for me. You know, I mean, what will people think if I do this and it doesn't work? So they're all related to them and their ability to do something. You know, the third category, again, are external based objections. These are beliefs about factors that the prospect perceives are sort of out of their control. You know, things like money. You know, I don't have the resources. Uh, You know, I don't have the time. I can't take the time to do this. It's impossible. Uh, it's, it's too hard. Um, it's going to be too time-consuming, that sort of thing. My wife won't let me do it, you know, the classic sales line. Okay, so, you know, I mean, this is great to understand the psychology behind different types of objections, but what do we actually do about it and how do we overcome them? First, in general, we need to address all the common objections as quickly as we can in the marketing process. The longer we wait, the more difficult it gets. We don't want to wait until we're at the close to try to handle these things. We also need to make sure that we have well-thought-out answers to knock down these objections and preferably written down and memorized if you're talking to someone in person. I mean, if you try to wing it, it kind of defeats the whole purpose of doing it. Next, we've got to help them shift their beliefs to align with ours. Uh, You know, we we need to create pain in their mind by holding on to the old false beliefs. You know, if they do that, then this is going to happen. And then, you know, it's the Tony Robbins pain-pleasure thing, you know. In addition to causing pain in their minds, now they need to associate pleasure with a new belief, the one we want them to have. And, you know, one thing I would say too is, you know, you got to be careful because you don't want to directly attack the false belief, you know, if you can do it in a way that doesn't make them feel stupid. Like, you know, if they, if you're attacking the, you know, the way they currently do something, you know, and you think, oh, that is completely stupid, you're an idiot for doing that, then, you know, you lose them right there because all the rapport is gone. So, don't attack the belief without doing it in a very subtle way. You know, be subtle about it and tell a story. Let them, you know, infer and feel like they're changing their beliefs, that they're in control. They're most more likely to change if it's their idea. So how do we actually do this? I mean, we have to help guide them through, you know, the process to buy into our new beliefs through stories, through case studies and other demonstrations that illustrate how there's much more profitable and better beliefs available and that they can dump the old beliefs and get a new one you know, some specific examples for each of the three categories. You know, first, again, vehicle-based objections, you know, example might be again, you know, cold calling doesn't work. So what do we do? First, we want to acknowledge and validate their belief. We don't want to make them feel stupid. In other words, we want to say, you know, Hey, you know, that's an understandable and and reasonable way to look at it. But, you know, let me tell you a story about someone similar to you that they even really believe in cold calling as well. And, you know, and they kind of shifted, you know, eventually to reach, you know, realize that it does possibly work. And then, you know, when we show them the new vehicle, which is much better at solving their problem, the story again. And what about internal beliefs? Maybe, you know, I can't cold call effectively. Again, acknowledge and validate their belief is reasonable, you know, or, you know, you have a client that one thought that. Tell them a story about someone who realized that it wasn't true. And with proper mentorship and training, it's a skill that can be learned. Reinforces success in shifting the identity that a cold caller had in the story. You know, if you don't have a case study, you know, make up a high th- hypothetical one. I mean, you're not lying if you don't infer that it's an actual client. You're just illustrating a point through a story. And then finally, you know, the external belief like I can't afford it or I don't have the financial resources. Again, acknowledge and validate it, and say, Hey, you know, I totally understand where you're coming from. That's a lot of money, or that's a big commitment, whatever. Uh, and then again tell them a story about someone, you know, was right where they are and they couldn't afford what they needed to do, you know, or they thought they couldn't. And then use the same story or a different one to show how that person got creative and came up with the money because it was a smart decision and a smart investment. So if you're listening, uh, you know, in all these examples, there's really some trends. Number one, acknowledge and validate. Use a story to show someone, you know, who was experienced and they experienced the same thing as a prospect. And then use that same story, or a different one to illustrate that someone changed their beliefs and, you know, how it paid off. And all three of these types can be handled in the same way. So where do we actually address these objections in the process? You know, we know we need to do it early as possible, but the answer is we need to do it as many times as we can in every stage of the sales process. If possible, we even need to address the same objection several times with different stories and language, because not all prospects are going to relate to all the examples. You know, in the marketing stage, you know, we need to address these objections by doing things like, you know, uh, in whatever campaigns you have, whatever ads you're running, whatever communications you have via email or social media, et cetera. You know, I mean, uh, focus on the most common popular objections, you know, when um, when people are first paying attention the most and during the hook, use stories and social proof that rebut, you know, some false beliefs in that sense. And don't mention features and techno babble and other things that are basically egging them on and begging for objections. Everything should be geared towards shifting away from those old beliefs, you know, and we need to continue this process and address them um, in the close or the offer stage. Again, focus on the beliefs you want them to have, show them how replacing those old beliefs will improve their life and their situation, ask them to make a change, i.e. ask for the order and, you know, give them help in changing by using urgency and scarcity to move them to action, reinforce that they made the right decision and welcome them to their new identity. So these are some of the suggestions on how to effectively handle the most common objections we see and stop the roadblocks to the sale. Takeaways and summary for this episode, I mean, first, we need to identify those objections and they're generally less than 10. And like I said, most of the time, less than five, you know, figure out if they're a vehicle, internal or external based objection from a psychology standpoint, you know, and then program your marketing and your whole process by changing anything that begs for an objection and preempt by these things by addressing in the marketing and the sales stages and help them get over that switch to new beliefs with sales and closing. And then finally help them switch to new beliefs with the sales and closing process by using urgency and scarcity. I hope this was helpful. Uh, Thanks for listening today and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening today. I hope you learned something that you can implement right away. I know your time is valuable and it's really an honor to serve you. Please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform and give me your honest feedback. If you're interested in learning more about how to grow your B2B small business, please call my office at Sales Double, which is 866-231-6776. Talk to you soon.